0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes the Gold podcast, the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, John Jacob, and today I'm going to tell you the top seven books I read this year. What? I love a list. I do. I love a list. Not only that, I love a year-end list, and it's December 12th, 2022, which means the year is almost over. And I read a lot of books this year. How many? Well, I think I'll finish the year at 58 or 60 books. There's still a little bit of year left. So especially with over the holidays, I've, I've got a little more reading time. If you want to see what's on my complete list, follow me on Goodreads. I've posted every single book this year on Goodreads. I post them all there. It's super easy to follow along. Just look up John Acuff on Goodreads. I'll drop the link in the show notes also. Now reading is one of my favorite goals. It is. I think I'm going to read 64 books next year. Do you come up with goals each year? Like this time of year, especially it's December. We're on the edge of January. Like it's a whole new year where we get to do new goals. And reading is is one of my goals. I absolutely love it. Why do I love goals so much? Well, goals changed my life when I was in my mid 30s. They radically rewired what I was doing, and I'll never go back. I'm going to teach the four words that will help you accomplish any goal you want this January. It's a three day free online challenge called Guaranteed Goals. I've taught tens of thousands of people how to accomplish goals and challenges like this. If you've never done one, it's super simple. Three days in a row, I jump online and I teach a video lesson. It's essentially a three-part keynote. I started doing these when all my live events got canceled for COVID. So I had this full year planned. Like I had, oh, so sweet. I had opened for Dolly Parton, um, who's kind of my best friend at this point. We had like a 47-second conversation. So I think we're pretty much best friends now. But I had opened up for Dolly Parton at the Ryman in Nashville. And that was like... January of 2020 and I was like this is going to be an amazing year. And then it was like the narrator came in and was like it was not in fact an amazing year of public speaking for John Acuff So I had this whole calendar they got canceled, but I still wanted to help people, I still want to encourage people, I still wanted to share ideas. So I started doing online challenges. That's where this came from. And that's what I'm going to do in January. If you want to join me, it's 100% free and you can sign up at slash challenge that's my last name, ACUFF.me slash challenge. Don't miss it. Now, all right, let's let's talk books. I'll share links to all of these books in the show notes in case you're driving and you hear something that you think is interesting. I'm going to tell you the name of the book, why I think it's the best. Sometimes I'll tell you who gave it to me if somebody gave it to me, what format I listened to it on or read it on. Um I listened to a few of these. Um it's funny, there are folks out there. Who think audiobooks don 't count they 're like oh they don't count as reading it's different doesn't count. I think it counts um, what 's interesting for me as an author is that i 've seen this shift in the last two years with my book sales, so right now, if I have ten book sales, like say ten different books sold, I would say six of them are paper, two of them um or three, really, like three of them are audio. One of them is digital. Audio is crushing. Now, my theory is that podcasts taught people that audio can be fun and it can be a great way to learn. And I'm just watching audiobooks explode. It's really shifted for me over the last few years. So I love audiobooks. And some of these were audiobooks. I'll tell you which ones I listened to versus which ones I held in my hand. Or maybe I did a digital copy, but I don't want to waste any more time. So the top seven books of all the books I read this year are these books in no particular order. Number one, A Noel Killing by M.L. Longworth. Now, if you're watching this on YouTube, Uh, a visual of this. I'm holding up the book. It's got a delightful Christmas scene and the book is a mystery. It's the only fiction book that made the list. And the reason I liked this book so much was that it opened me up to a whole new set of characters. What's interesting is this is actually her eighth book in the series. So the series is set in France, like southern France near Marseille. And It's a it's not a detective. He's more of a judge based on in France. They don't call them detectives. It's there's a title for them. But it's this really cool detective that solves mysteries in this beautiful part of France. And there's a lot of food. There's a lot of um, parties and atmospheres. And I realized over the years, I love a village mystery. A village mystery is a mystery that's set. This is going to blow your mind because I'm very good at describing book genres. It's a mystery set in a village. It's very simple to understand. Louise Penny is another one who I I thought was really fantastic. She had a series set in Canada. I've learned over the years I like mysteries that are dark and cold. I don't mean dark as in like tragic stuff happens. I really don't like dark shows or comedies like people i have so many friends that love the show Ozark but dude that show is so heavy and so dark like i have enough negativity just living on the planet even if it's well written cuz that's what everybody says everybody would be like oh you got to watch this show it's amazing it's so well written but then i watch it and i feel like i need a shower after or i'm sadder after like dude I will never, ever, ever watch a second of the Jeffrey Dahmer show like on Netflix. I will. Let me just be very clear. I will ne- like, why would I want to watch that? Like, I don't want that in my head. I don't want that in my heart. That makes me sell no fashion. I totally know it does. But I just don't I don't like dark subject matter. And when I say dark, I mean, it's winter. It's cold. The village is cold. Like the, the shops are closing early. I like a cold, dark mystery. Go figure. And that's what this is. And I knew I liked it because I started to read her other books. I started to go back through her catalog. I think that's what's so fun about fiction is when you find an author you like that you didn't know they had a lot of other books. Like I read Murder in the Rue de Moi. I think that's how you say it. I'm going to mispronounce most of these names because they're French. I read Death in the Vines. That involves this is going to kill you like a vineyard because death in the vines is right there in the name. I read death at the Chateau Bremont. I think that's how you say it. If you're, if you're French and I know I'm just killing these, I know it, I know it, I know it, but they're a Verloc and Bonnet mystery. So it's Verloc is the main guy. Bonnet is his um, girlfriend. They get married eventually, but I, I love the culture of it. I love a mystery. I feel like I can walk in. I don't know much about the South of France and the author Actually, teaches um, over in France. I love how authentic everything feels. I love that it feels like you're right there on the streets with her. She's a great author. Here's what it says: She's lived in the south of France since 1997. This is M.L. Longworth. She has written about the region for the Washington Post, the Times, the Independent, and Bon Appetit magazine. She's the author of a bilingual collection of essays. Um, it's her. You know, she's written tons of these books, and she divides her time between. A-I-X? I don't even know how you say that. Like aux, maybe? Pass the aux? That's what the kids say, like when they're playing music in their car. Um, she divides her time there in Paris where she teaches writing at New York University. So M.L. Longworth, first book on my list. It's a mystery. So if right now you're like, ooh, I could use a new mystery. You can start in this series wherever you want. I started with book eight, which is unheard of, but that's just how I do things. I try things in, in oblong ways. And I started with book eight. I think I saw it in a catalog um, for books and it was a Noel killing and I really liked it. That's book number one. And obviously I liked it. I read so many more. Second book that was on my top seven books of 2022 was Bourdain, the Definitive Oral Biography by Lori Wollever. Bourdain, Definitive Oral Biography by Lori Wollever. I am a huge fan of the oral biography or the oral history so if you've never listened to one or read one essentially they interview people who are really in the moment about the moment so for instance a few years ago i read one about saturday night live saturday night live Was a really fascinating book. It was really interesting. The history was, it was so fun to see them go, okay, here's what it looked like in the seventies. Here's what it looked like in the eighties. Here's how Will Ferrell impacted it. Here's, you know, what Chevy Chase did. Here's the Eddie Murphy years. And it was people talking about their experience. So it'd be, okay, here's David Spade talking about his experience. Here's, you know, um, Tina Fey talking about her experience. I love the oral history. It's just, it becomes all dialogue, and I really like that. I also um, listened to Tinderbox this year, which is the oral history of HBO. That was interesting, too. I like that format. Um, I didn't know anything really about HBO. I knew they had changed cable and changed how people receive cable and content, and certainly all their programs are massive. But that book, Tinderbox anyway, the HBO one was like, fascinating because you were watching people build little empires of the company and then eventually get stabbed in the back. Like there were so many of the stories where it was like, this guy was amazing and he was with us for 20 years. And then he got pushed out in a takeover. And so it was like watching little Kings and Queens build little empires that they thought this is going to be the thing. I'm going to be here forever. And then they would get pushed out by the next person, the next person, the next person, but back to Bourdain. Um, It was written by his assistant, Lori Wollever or collected or researched. I don't even know how you say it when it's an oral biography. Um, his ex-wife is in it. His daughter is in it. So it was by no means like a hit piece. I was initially worried it was going to be like Anthony Bourdain, the crazy things you didn't know. It wasn't like that at all. It was great. It was fantastic. And it ended up being this really fascinating picture Um of addiction and success and hope and tragedy and beauty and scars. And like you could pull the thread on the addictions he was wrestling with throughout his entire life from like, okay, there's heroin. Um, And then it becomes cooking, like running a kitchen. And then it becomes the chaos of travel, like more, more, more. He was traveling 200 to 250 days a year, which like, I don't know that there's a body designed to handle that amount of travel. And then it became work. He was doing like 72 projects at the same time. And then it became jujitsu. Like he really got into jujitsu. I saw an interesting documentary about hot pepper eaters, which is completely related to this, I guess, because... In kitchens, they have hot peppers. But what was interesting about this documentary about hot pepper eaters, people who professionally compete to eat hot peppers was how many of them had addictions in their background. And it was like when they got rid of that other addiction, they just focused on a new thing and got really into that. And that's what Anthony Bourdain did with jujitsu. Like he was really into jujitsu. And then he got really into this really chaotic relationship. And so you could just see this thread through his life. And there are two quotes in the book that stuck out to me um, that I thought were really interesting. One was something Anthony Bourdain said. He said, you don't know the consequences of getting everything you want until you get everything you want. And I thought that was a really interesting reflection on, I went from this and now I'm this and I'm wrestling with this. What do I do? I got everything I want. And I thought that was a really interesting quote. The other one was somebody was talking about him and they said, he turned all the energy of destroying into building. So the people who grew up with him that had seen him almost destroy his life with heroin and all these challenging situations were like, oh, my gosh, that person that has all that energy, all that hope is just applied it to building this TV show and this network opportunity and these books. And that was an interesting quote to me that he turned all the energy of destroying into building. That was part of the hope of, of the book. And I, I didn't realize what an amazing writer he was. His first two books were novels. I had no idea what a brilliant writer Anthony Bourdain was. Now, it's sad because you know how it's going to end, but it's, it doesn't come off as like four, five, ten hours of sadness by any means. There's a lot of life in this. So that's the second book on my list. Bourdain, The Definitive Oral Biography – By Lori Wollever. All right, third book on my list The Psychology of Money Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed, and Happiness by Morgan Housel. This is Psychology of Money, Morgan Housel. This is one of the best books about money I've ever read. One of the best I've ever read. I could read this book probably every year and get something different out of it. It's just wildly fascinating. His approach to understanding money, to sharing about money, both in his own life and the way money works was just so engaging. And I loved it. Short essays. I love the format of the book. So many good stories and ideas. I'll share three from the book that stuck out to me. So this is me quoting the book. These are not my words. This is me quoting the book. He says, at a party given by a billionaire on Shelter Island, Kurt Vonnegut, you know Kurt Vonnegut, famous author, Slaughterhouse-Five, amazing. Kurt Vonnegut informs his pal, Joseph Heller, that their host, a hedge fund manager, had made more money in a single day than Heller had earned from his wildly popular novel, Catch 22, over its whole history. Heller responds, quote, yes, but I have something he will never have, enough, end quote, Enough. This is still Morgan House's quote. I was stunned by the simple eloquence, eloquence of that word. Stunned for two reasons. First, because I have been given so much in my own life, and second, because Joseph Heller couldn't have been more accurate. For a critical element of our society, including many of the wealthiest and most powerful among us, there seems to be no limit today on what enough entails. Woo! Like if you want to wrestle with a word in 2023, like wrestle with the word enough. Like, and it doesn't have to just be enough money. It can be enough attention. It can be enough relationships, enough anything. Like enough is one of those words that looks so simple on the outside. But if you'll actually work at it, if you'll actually sit with it, it can be a huge, massive word. I I really liked that story from from Kurt Vonnegut and Joseph Heller. I also really liked Morgan Households. like one of the things he talked about about the definition of true wealth. He said, true wealth is the ability to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, for as long as you want. He said, that's priceless. It's the highest dividend money pays. The ability to do what you want, when you want, with who you want, for as long as you want. So for instance, if you wanna work teaching kids how to read four years with your favorite nonprofit, that's true wealth if you're able to do it. I often think we sell our time too cheaply. And this book convicted me about that. Like one line that I wrote down in my notebook the other day. I keep a notebook of ideas and I scribble stuff down. And sometimes they they make their way into speeches or the ideas make their ways into podcast episodes or tweets or anything. One idea I wrote down is like the richest person in the room is the person who isn't in a hurry. Like or the richest person in the room is the person who has time. Because I, I've I've worked with people, I've been around people that were really successful financially but really unhappy and their schedule didn't belong to them. And that's always been something that stuck with me. I remember I was in California and I was, I think the name of the lake was like Lake Arrowwood or Arrowhead. I forget the name of the lake. It was some lake high in the mountains, beautiful. And I was walking around with a friend and there are all these just mansions everywhere And we were talking about, and he said, the mansions are beautiful, but they're always empty. And I was like, why are they always empty? And he said, because the people who own them are busy somewhere paying for them. Like they're earning the money to have the mansion that they don't get to visit. And that always convicted me that there was this huge community around this lake that was beautiful, but it was empty because the people were too busy to actually be at the mansion that they had saved up for. And they had to keep working in order to pay for the mansion. Like it was this weird kind of revelation for me. And I I just thought, okay, wow, I need to remember that. So I I love that idea of that, you know, real wealth is the ability to do what you want, when you want, with who you want for as long as you want. I, I thought that was great. The last thing, the last story from this book that I thought was really interesting, or there's two last things, but this is the third thing I'll actually quote from. He said, how my family thinks about savings this is something from Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger informed this thought that Morgan has about savings. Charlie Munger once said I did not intend to get rich, I just wanted to get independent. And so Morgan, the author says, we can leave rich aside, but independence has always been my personal financial goal. Chasing the highest returns or leveraging my assets to live the most luxurious life has little interest to me. Both look like games people do to impress their friends and both have hidden risks. I mostly just want to wake up every day knowing my family and I can do whatever we want on our own terms. Every financial decision we make revolves around that goal. Jenny and I have lived that way for years. Like one of our core values is freedom, is the freedom to be able to n- weather storms, for instance. Like I talked about the cancellation of my events in 2020. That was challenging, of course. Like that was very challenging for my business, it was very challenging for my family. But it wasn't dire because we live kind of a small life. Like we don't run to the edge of our margin. We're always thinking about, okay, how can we get more freedom, not necessarily more finances? We we don't take risks that put us on the edge and we're one bad decision or one bad downturn or one bad recession away from it all falling apart. We're kind of always thinking about, about freedom. I remember my wife said to me one day, she said, let's do a small house and big adventures. Let's do a small house and big adventures. And I love that. That became a soundtrack for us. It's a phrase we use around our house, our soundtracks, these thoughts we live by. Small house, big adventures. Now, right now, if you're in a mansion and you're like petting a a tiger and you're like, this guy must hate money. No, not at all. Like I wanna crush it. Like every year I have some very aggressive financial goals. I work really hard to push my business i 'm growing my platform. like the podcast is an example of that. Like I 'm leaning into so many projects. I want to double the talents I've been given. like if I 've been giving two talents, I want to double it to four. If I've been giving five talents, I want to double it to ten. So don't hear me throwing water on success or you know shade onto finances or wealth or anything like that. I just am always trying to go, okay, well, what's most valuable to me? And this book really challenged me on that. The last thing that was in the book that I just thought was fascinating. He said, Warren Buffett's net worth is 84.5 billion. At the time that this book came out, 84.5 billion, 81.5 billion of that came after he qualified for social security in his mid sixties. So let me say that again, cause it blew my mind. He's worth 84.5 billion. I think he's worth more now. This is the book came out a while ago. But 81.5 billion of his worth came after his mid 60s. That blew my mind about the power of compound interest. So if you're looking for a book that'll challenge your beliefs about money, encourage you, make you go get after it, make you do fun things like go for it. Like I love it. I love it. I love it like hustle obviously. But if you want to be challenged about money, I think it's a great one. Again, the title of the book, The Psychology of Money, Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed, and Happiness by Morgan Housel. All right, book number four. Book number four was Leap Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson. Leap Over a Wall, Eugene Peterson. This book came to me via my friend, Al Andrews. Al Andrews is one of the wisest, kindest, smartest people I've ever met. He just is. He runs a nonprofit here um, in Nashville. That's amazing. He's a counselor. He's just a guru. He's one of those guys that just like you talk to him for 30 seconds and you're like, I think that guy just changed my life. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. One of my favorite little stories he told me. We were talking years ago and he said, John, the reason people are so stressed and so busy is that they destroyed their central parks. I said, what do you you mean they destroyed their Central Parks? He said, well, if you fly over New York, it's surprising to see Central Park because in the middle of all this commerce, in the middle of all this progress, there's this big green space and they could put buildings on it. They could build on Central Park. They could put more skyscrapers. They could do bigger things on Central Park. But New York knows if they destroy Central Park, they'll destroy their ability to breathe. They'll destroy their ability to rest. They'll destroy their ability to not collapse on themselves. So they know Central Park matters. He says, most people, when they get burned out, it's because they've paved over their Central Park. They have no space in their life, no margin in their life, no room for what feels like a wasted moment of play. And oh, most people have paved over their Central Park. Come on, Al Andrews. That is fantastic. So when Al says to me, hey, you should read this book. I think you'll like it. I listen. You have a friend like that. You probably have a friend like that in your life that when they suggest a book or when they suggest a TV show or a podcast, you pay extra attention. Al is one of those people for me. So he suggested Leap Over a Wall by Eugene Peterson. And it's about David. It's about the messy, complicated story of David. David. Um, David from the Bible, David of Go- David and Goliath. like everyone 's heard of David, and it was a really complicated, messy life, and I 'm going to share one of the sections um, that I just loved. I'm just going to read it. it 's page uh, 54 if you're following along at home. It'd be weird if you're following along at home, like if you 've already had this book and you're like, "It's so weird, I'm reading it right now. Just listen to how Eugene Peterson writes about friendship. This is a section about friendship. He says. The greatest thing any person can do for another is to confirm the deepest thing in him or in her, to take the time and have the discernment to see what's most deeply there, most fully that person, and then confirm it by recognizing it and encouraging it. Each of us has contact with hundreds of people who never look beyond our surface appearance. We have dealings with hundreds of people who the moment they set eyes on us, begin calculating what use we can be to them what they can get out of us. We meet hundreds of people who take one look at us, make a snap judgment, and then slot us into a category so that they won't have to deal with us as persons. They treat us as something less than we are. And if we're in constant association with them, we become less. And then someone enters our life who isn't looking for someone to use, um, someone leisurely enough to find out what's really going on in us. And Dude, I love that word, leisurely. Like, again, it goes back to they have enough time to really be your friend. They're leisurely enough to find out what's really going on in us. It's secure enough not to exploit our weaknesses or attack our strengths, recognizes our inner life and understands the difficulty of living out our inner convictions. Confirms what's deepest within us. They confirm what's deepest within us. That's a friend. Like, come on. What a description of a friend, someone who's leisurely enough to have the time to really get to know you. I love this book. I wish that there could have been a podcast episode or a conversation or maybe an event between Eugene Peterson and Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott, who wrote one of my favorite books of all time, Bird by Bird, reminds me of Eugene Peterson or Eugene Peterson reminds me of Anne Lamott. They have a similar way of really looking at at kind of the layer behind the layer behind the layer of a story of a life. So I loved Leap Over Wall by Eugene Peterson. Fifth book on the list, From Strength to Strength. From Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life. This is written by Arthur C. Brooks. Arthur C. Brooks. Now, maybe you hear that and go, the second half of life, that's for people like in their 50s and their 60s. John, you're only 46. You're so vibrant and tall. I appreciate that. I appreciate you thinking that. But here's why I read this book. I was late to my 30s. I'm going to be early to my 50s. That's a soundtrack that I've been leaning into lately. Like I was late to my 30s. I didn't have any plans, any system, any foundation. I was so late to my thirties. I feel like so many other people like knew what they were about, knew what they were going to do. I was late to my thirties. I'm going to be early to my fifties. I'm going to be deliberate about where am I headed in the next three years? Where am I headed in the next five years? What do I want 58 to look like? So a book like this about the second half of life, maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe I'm a couple years away from that. I don't know, but I'm reading books like this because I want to get ready for those seasons. I genuinely believe that my 40s were better than my 30s, like a lot better. And I think my 50s are going to be better than my 40s. I think my 60s could be better than my 50s too. I'm excited about that. My dad recommended this book to me. I love that I have a dad um, that will recommend books. It's so fun that that's a shared passion, that that's something we get to talk about. I don't take that for granted. Um, There's a lot of folks listening right now that don't have a relationship with a parent um, where they can recommend books to them or they have a connection point. Um, and I I don't take that for granted. I, I think that's really, really fun. So book number five, Arthur C. Brooks from strength to strength. Um, fantastic book, highly recommend. I loved it. I gave it to a friend. That's always a good sign for me. Um, there's not going to be a book on this list that I wouldn't be willing to give to a friend. And I gave this one to a friend of mine, and he immediately texted me once he would read it. and was like, what? This book is changing my life. So I know it's impactful for not just me, but other people. Book number six, 12 Notes on Life and Creativity by Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones. World-famous record producer, we are the world, Quincy Jones. I saw a review on this on Amazon that I thought really summed it up well. Um, JS on Amazon said this, It's a short read and sweet, like talking with your grandfather. Who just happens to have 28 Grammy Awards sitting on the mantle and who is the thread connecting Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, Michael Jackson, Beyonce to whoever's coming next. In a world of consumers and takers, Quincy Jones is a rare contributor giving back to all of us. What an incredible life. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know until I listened to this book. actually listened to this one on audio that he was great friends with Frank Sinatra. Like, he was amazing friends with Frank Sinatra, and his career is just crazy. He was friends with Stevie Wonder when they were kids. Like, he and Stevie Wonder knew each other when they were young. I mean, he tried to negotiate a peace deal between the West Coast and East Coast rappers, like, back in the Tupac and Biggie days. Like, and he's produced everybody. Everybody. Now, he has a chapter on sharpening your left brain, like how to kind of tap into more creativity that was wildly practical. Sometimes you read books about creativity and they're so like holistic or mystical that you're like, right, but what do I do with that on like a Thursday? And he really got specific about some things you can do to be more creative. And then I also loved his chapter on the power of being underestimated. Like why it can be a good thing to be underestimated. And he also was really deliberate about sharing stories where he went above and beyond in a situation and had no idea what it would turn into. And then six years later, like Frank Sinatra says, oh, remember you are the band leader on that one thing and you worked really hard on that. I really appreciate that. Would you come on this tour with me? Like things that happened because he leaned into situations, kind of that like long term reaping and sowing. He was really good at going, okay. I'm going to sow into relationships. I'm going to give into people. I don't know where it'll go, but I, I know this is what I'm supposed to do. And then like 10 years later, it would turn into something amazing. I love this book. Super practical, but super full of interesting stories about so many different people that I just, I had no idea Quincy Jones was connected to. Last book. And I said in no particular order, but it, but it is in an order in a way, because this is my favorite book of 2022. No, number one book, number one, might be my favorite book of the last 10 years. The number one book for me was Surrender by Bono 40 songs, one story. My brother recommended this one to me. My brother will. Easily the best book of 2022 for me. It is everything you want it to be. Now, you might not like audiobooks, but I would implore you yes, implore you, get this one on audio. Get get this one on audio. It's worth it on audio because Bono reads it and there's songs in between. And it's like a lot of people have recommended to me Matthew McConaughey's book. Um, was it Green Lights? Yeah. Th- because he kind of changes the genre of audiobooks. Like he's such a good actor and he performs the book. I have a sense it's similar. I haven't read that one, ever listened to that one. I'm I'm going to probably in 2023. But there's so many. Like real sounds, real songs woven through this book. And I I was thinking about it, like, why is it so good? And I what I think is he writes with a poet's arsenal of words and a copywriter's brevity of phrase like that's a weird combination it's a poet's arsenal of words. Like he has this huge breadth of vocabulary that just rambles and has all the words. Like he has access to words that you're like, oh, I forgot that word existed. That's such a good word. But then he also has the flip side, which is like a copywriter's brevity of phrase. What I mean by that is I I grew up copywriting. I, I wrote advertising for companies like Home Depot and Bose and Staples. And they would say, "Okay, you have four words, you have six words, you have eight words and you have to communicate these three things. And you had to be really brief and really specific. Every word had to perform something. I remember somebody told me inside every fat ad is a skinny ad that's trying to get out. And I thought, oh, okay, I, that, that explains brevity. That's what Bono has. Because sometimes when you go, it's a poet, it's somebody, it's an artist writing. It can be really long and rambling and they don't know where they're going. But Bono has the beauty of a poet, like the arsenal of their words, but also the brevity of a copywriter. I mean, it, it's everything from like Sunday, Bloody Sunday, like how that song came together and why it came together and what it did to the band about his faith, like wrestling with his faith um losing his mom at 14. I mean, it follows his entire life in the most beautiful way. And this book made me want to be a better writer, but also a better human. Like it was one of those books that it would in my opinion be impossible for you to listen to this and be like, "Meh. I mean, I guess, like it's all right." No, no, no. This book is going to make you want to be a better person, a better father, a better husband, a better mom, a better dad, a better gas station attendant, a better whatever. Go out and get this one as fast as you can. That's my list. Those are the top seven books for me in 2022. Those are my seven. Now, I'm curious, what about you? What's a book you read this year or listened to? Because that counts that you think I should read. Like write a review of this episode and drop the name of your favorite book from 2022 in it. Or if you're listening to this somewhere that doesn't have reviews, like I don't think Spotify has reviews. So maybe you're listening to this on Spotify. DM me the name of the book on Instagram. I'm just at John Acuff. Now, again, if you want to see the full list of books that I read this year, follow me on Goodreads. And last but not least, if you want to read more books in 2023, or, I don't know, get in shape or start a business or even write your own book, check out my brand new challenge, the Guaranteed Goals Challenge. It starts in January, but you can sign up today at acuff.me challenge that's acuff.me/challenge. Thank you so much for listening today. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always, and thank you for reviewing my podcast. The reviews are so encouraging and I really appreciate everyone who's ever taken the time to do that. I'll be back next week. I'll see you next Monday and remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast.